millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. And welcome to Security and Secure, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same mantra as me, then before we get to today's guest, please subscribe to Security and Secure whilst you're listening. And at the end of the episode, leave a five-star rating and a review. In this interview, you will hear about Bipolar. And if you're affected by what you hear, please visit Bipolar.org. It's really important that anything that you're triggered by in today's episode, you go and seek guidance, because I really don't want you to be listening and then building up 99 problems in your head and actually they're not problems so please do go and check out bipolar.org now let me tell you about my guest today my guest today is a presenter a model and founder of viva fever a place to have open conversations about mental health and now the star of her own documentary, Modelling, Mania and Me on Channel 4. So to bring together her career and how her mental health journey has been impacted by it, I'm delighted to welcome to Skid and Skid, the beautiful Rosie Viva. Hello, Rosie. Hello, thank you so much for having me in your snazzy office. Let's go back to the beginning of your life. You've got your documentary out now, which shows what happened in your 20s. But I want to go back to the beginning of the life of Rosie, pre-modelling, and mm-hmm. go back to your childhood. So where does the story for you begin of who you are today based on what happened in that time. So I think if we're looking back and yeah, we'll we'll stick to the topic of bipolar and kind of those first early signs. I think my mum first noticed that maybe I was a lot more sensitive than my peers and my sisters when I had a friend who got really ill with anorexia when we were 15 and I had to take time off school because I was so upset that she was ill. And my mum thought that was really odd. So I had like such a quick reaction to her form of depression and developed depression myself, just feeling that I needed to help her and trying to speak to teachers and getting so involved. And I remember at the same time, my boyfriend broke up with me. And instead of having a normal reaction of just being a bit sad, I asked to move schools. So I always had this kind of catapult reaction to anything in my life which was just very extreme in a sense and my mum having had two daughters before me older sisters she just said god rosie is just one of the most sensitive people i've ever met that's the first memory where i'd hone in on like my childhood and my teenage years being very sensitive and then i think with my first episode of depression being 15 years old now that i see a 15 year old in the street or friends younger brother sister I do realize that I was very young having quite extreme feelings and mood what did it feel like to have that first label given to you at 15 years old of just Rose is the sensitive one Rose is over there the sensitive one 
I think I craved connection very young. And so just having those words around, whether it was a diagnosis or just a description of how I was, I think it at, whenever someone labels you, there's always a slight relief that, okay, at least there's something other people are understanding about my actions. So I never had negative connotations when people called me sensitive as a kid. It was it, like a superpower. Yeah, I was leaning into it for sure. And... um it continued all through my sixth form and into my late teens. I think the difficult thing was, like many kids in their late teens, 18, 17, around that time, when I was having lows, that was when people were less forward with their phrases of depression or down. So I didn't receive those words around me. It was only when I was up and energetic or I was reactive and I was sensitive. But I don't remember the words depression flying around even though I had several cases in my teenage years. I was really open with my mum about it the whole way through my teen years and I think that just got so intense for her the year before I was diagnosed because at school it was just I was so needy and I would text her twice throughout the day just saying I just don't know what's going on I feel so bad and I always felt so safe in her presence she's got a really warming energy and complete non-judgment and very empathetic for somebody who's never struggled with their mental health personally. So yeah, the years before I was diagnosed, that ended up, that kind of turned into being 21, being at work and calling my mum twice a day. And I started to hate that feeling and I started to be less open with her, just aware that I was burdening her in a sense. And what about your dad? My dad, he is a brilliant character. I'm pretty sure that if there's such thing as a mood disorder where you're always in a good mood, that's my dad. With bipolar, the difficult thing about it is that you are not a depressive and you're not in bed, not getting up and exercising. I'm always very energetic. And when sometimes when I'll say to someone, I had a really, really rough day yesterday because I'm there smiling, being like, I had a really rough day yesterday. It was really difficult for people to realise just how ill I felt. And I take that from him in the way that when I'm with people, they bring me up. They genuinely bring my mood up. So I was always talking about my lows in quite a happy headspace, being with friends at the time where I was genuinely wanting to be there and being, yeah, in a good mood by their company. So he's been really, really brilliant and been so supportive, but he's very pragmatic. And actually, when I got my diagnosis, after years of really struggling, he was the one to be so positive and say, at least now you have something we can treat and we can move on and we can get you better. So, yeah, I now look back that he had some really knowledgeable advice. Because well, for those that listen, you have that kind of psychomania where you have massive highs, but also massive lows as well. And they can just interchange. Whereas for other people, for example, if you've got depression, you might have a couple of days of really sad times. And then you might come out the other side, whereas you're very quick to jump between the two. So quick. The first video I ever recorded for this documentary was last August. I stumbled across an article which had been written about people who had been in hospital and were now on the streets for a thing called Mad Pride. And they were all wearing kind of the dressing gowns you get given in hospital. And it was a quick, complete extreme reaction to the article. I went so south so quickly and I was shaking and I thought I was going to have a panic attack because I haven't seen those gowns since and it just triggered a memory. My lows and my highs can be like five or six hours. And I still find that feeling of dropping really, really intense and it scares me so much. But I'm getting better at reminding myself that I'm equally sensitive to people bringing up my mood and help like running and the endorphins. I'm so sensitive to those feelings that that's the one thing which makes me quite positive about having this is that I can come back up quickly. 
But also for that support system around you that you need people who can support that and who can understand that. It must be really hard as well to meet someone new and to say, well, look, I've got bipolar and someone doesn't really understand what it is. And therefore, they don't understand why you are the way you are. And it's only when they spend a prolonged time with you that they actually get to understand the real you and get to see the highs and the lows and see that it changes. Because it's not easy to just say it out loud or have it written down to say, oh, yeah, Rosie might change her mood a little bit. Yeah, I think also with my friends, it's been nice because I've had to push myself to try and explain why I act the way I act or explaining things. So about a year ago, I fell out with a friend because I was in such a bad headspace and I bailed on an evening plan which had alcohol included. And I just know that that's not the right decision in that headspace. The following day, I had an amazing day. I flew out on holiday with a friend. She saw that and was questioning that the day before I'd been in a bad headspace. And actually picking up the phone to her and saying, this is bipolar. I'm genuinely doing really well today. I was really struggling yesterday. She's now learned. And I think, yeah, that open conversation, you've got to give your friends the benefit of the doubt that they're open to learning about your disorder. And now she's so respectful and I'm very much with her on the good days and bad days. And she doesn't try and, you know, question my reality. We all know that we've got a lot of friends who have their bad character traits and we just kind of let bygones be bygones until it builds up enough that you do explode. So how do you know when not to explode and just say, look, look, you're doing that thing again. We've had that conversation. Do you know what? Over the last few years, and I think it's just been the same as other friends without bipolar, I've really narrowed down my friends to the ones who make me feel good in their presence. And the quote I kind of live by is that you never remember what someone says to you, you just remember how they make you feel. Mm. And I actually gravitate towards the friends which make me feel safe in any headspace. So I think, yeah, a few years ago I struggled because even before COVID, I'd go for dinner or drinks with people who I felt I should. Whereas now I just see the same friends regularly and those relationships have become so much stronger. So there's no one in my life who I don't, when they're not in the room, shout their praises and put their names out as just such positive, amazing people. I absolutely love talking to you, Rosie. I'm (laughs) learning so much. And you just seem like you're in such a good headspace that you can pay it forward now. Mm. You've kind of had your moment of everything, which we'll go through in a sec, but it's just amazing is just looking at you and having your enthusiasm to spread awareness and to spread that it can be okay. You know, mm. it isn't as it bad as it is make up. Yeah, but you I can think, see the journey you've been on. Yeah, it's really nice because I think about two years ago, that was when I met the commissioner at Channel 4 and I was so determined saying, look, I've got to talk about this now. I've got to talk about it in my 20s. And just with the time these things take, it's now four years after my episode. And now I'm so glad that I waited until now because I actually came out of care after three years. And this is four and a half years after my episode. Now I really feel I understand my illness. And that makes me not too worried to speak about it because I don't have this private life where I'm still really struggling with the diagnosis. I'm at peace with it. I really want to be a someone for young girls and boys to look up to just to look forward to a life where your social life and your work life isn't affected by your illness and for me that's success I guess well let's go to that episode if that's okay with you if you're okay to talk about it 22 years old Stansted Airport you get to the airport and things don't quite go to plan so that day I had broken up with my boyfriend two weeks earlier and when I first broke up with my boyfriend I had a reaction my friends didn't quite understand in that Instead of saying, I'm so upset, God, he's such an awful (laughs) human, 
I was saying, guys, I'm so happy. Oh my God, I'm having the best time. I'm going to yoga every morning and I'm running and I just love work and I'm going to be the biggest presenter in the world and all these sweeping statements. And then I went into a very religious and spiritual headspace where I was sharing on my social media that God was acting through me. And I honestly remember thinking that I might walk on water. And that was my reality, was thinking, I have to share this on Instagram because it was Jesus and then Rosie. Like, this is... <laughs> This is it. And I grew up atheist, so it was quite odd. Anyway, and my parents had seen me sharing all of this quite weird stuff on my social media. They were on holiday and they didn't know what was going on, but they just knew that they needed to be with me physically. So they suggested that I get a flight out to join them on holiday and take a few days off work and just sit with the fact that I'd been through a bit, really big breakup. So that day I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and instead of it being a normal day, I started hallucinating very quickly and feeling that God was literally minutes away from being with me in this. The whole morning didn't play out in that way and it was I was so high, but I kept having moments of fear because I wasn't meeting God. Every 10 minutes I'd just be somewhere else thinking it was about to happen. So I kind of came to my senses about midday and realized that I was going on holiday with my family. I wasn't going to meet God. So I managed to get myself to Stansted Airport and I remember trying to calm myself down and get myself back into reality, even though my vision was completely gone. And then I rang my mom and I just remember saying, I don't know what's happening, but I don't think I can get on this flight. And it was just this fear that something bad. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It was about to happen, so it was just started to become quite scary rather than exciting. And there was a kind of a moment of surrender, and after a year being really ill with depression and anxiety, I think Stansted Airport was just my breaking point in that I knew I needed help and I couldn't see anything normally, and I was hearing all these voices in my head, and I saw oversized baggage drop-off. My ex was a musician, he had a music video idea to jump through baggage drop-off, and then it'd be this kind of like hallucinating world. So I think my subconscious thought, aha, there's a like, you know, you know this thought, this is what's gonna happen now. And I jumped through there, the fire alarm was on my left, and I just remember hitting that, and hearing noises, and knowing that, I was at a moment of surrender and I was just terrified and I saw police running towards me and I just remember that feeling of relief where it was like I'm finally getting help so it was yeah after a very very difficult year it was the start of a diagnosis understanding what had happened and yeah the next two three months was a blur because I was in hospital and I got much worse before I got better but at least when I came down from that high two and a half months later, I finally had a framework to start working towards how do people manage this and what is this? Do you have to get to that level of psychosis to get that diagnosis or can someone go to their GP and say, I've got bipolar? Well, that's kind of what I hope this film might prevent for a lot of young people because I was seeking help for eight months before this. I was in therapy and I was speaking to GPs saying, I need help. I have panic attacks three times a day. I'm having to leave work. And that is not a nice position to be in for mental health. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. But I do think the kind of symptoms of bipolar and the high days, hopefully with this film, if you've got a friend going through depression who's on antidepressants and they're not getting better, just those medications for people with bipolar can be quite difficult. I'm hoping this film will catch people before they go into complete crisis and hallucinate. Natural film, Modeling, Mania and Me, which you can watch on Channel 4. What about the use of social media? Uh, we'll come to your modelling career in a sec, but mm. just the way that the way your mind works with hallucinations and then you've got social media and you've got this idea of the hyper world where sometimes we live in such a hyperbola that you can kind of feel like you've lived through everyone else's experiences because you've watched their holiday. You know, mm. you've seen them at breakfast, you've seen them swimming, you've seen them have lunch. You feel like you're there, you feel like you know them. What's your relationship with social media like to make sure that you don't go a step further and get depressed because of what you're seeing? Do you know what? After this experience, I can't care about it. It's bizarre. I used to be like every other 22-year-old. I even remember my thought patterns at work. I'd be shooting five days a week. I was at the height of my modelling career and every day I'd think, Rosie, post a BTS because everyone has to know how busy and successful I am. The last few years, coming back to such basics when you're so depressed and the big thing you have to get done that day is have a shower, I can't genuinely go back to caring about social media other than as using it for a place to help people. Especially when I was filming this documentary, I didn't share anything for those six months really because... I was sharing so much in a different format. 
now coming back to it and working with my agents and understanding that this is an important part of what I do, I just have a very detached kind of relationship with it, just purely because as long as my friendships and my family is strong, that's what keeps me well. And I, yeah, I think I had to let go of the negative parts of social media when I started this project because I've that's just what I choose to use my platform now. And I haven't shared my modeling really the last four years. It's a bit of a secret. My close friends know that I do modeling, but I just realized as long as I know that I'm supported financially, I don't need other people to know that. And I was also, when I first was ill and I was off work, when I was low, I experienced jealousy for the first time. And I would look at models working and think, God, they're so lucky just to be independent and going to work and getting a coffee and seeing friends after. I was living with my parents age 22 in the house for seven months. And so I'm just super cautious when I put stuff out. I think, what are you trying to achieve? Especially with pictures in a bikini. And even a year ago, I would have put that out being like, woohoo, you know, I hope this fit boy sees me. Whereas now I just think I don't need that validation because it doesn't, it, I was empty when I was sharing five days a week. Whereas now I feel very happy in my life. I don't feel the need to share it. And I have to make a conscious effort to share my life, I think. I love that. Uh, what a great way of putting it about validation. Mm. I was definitely, even a year ago, I cringe at what I was putting out. It's so funny. Oh, it's Because I remember the thoughts. I was, there was, you know, I was really chasing like the wrong type of guys for a while. And I just remember hoping they'd see it and I'd get this little rush. Whereas now I'm in quite a, a really happy relationship and I want it to keep quite uh, private, I think, because I'm enjoying it in that moment. And yeah, I'm struggling to take pictures of what we do because... I'm just really enjoying this independence from my parents and having a normal 27-year-old's experiences. But from the professional side, though, how does it work having a boyfriend? Because you've got, you know, 77,000 followers on Instagram. You'll have a lot of those who are just guys that fancy you because they like the aesthetic way of you. And if you showcase your boyfriend too much, it's almost like you're going to get unfollowed because and unvalidated because suddenly, well, I can't fancy you. She's got a serious boyfriend now. Do you know what? I think I've been in a relationship before where someone implied to me that in their professional life, their agents had said, don't post your girlfriend. And I remember thinking, Jesus, I'm so proud to be with someone nice, but it doesn't feel like something I would share just because it is a private thing. But there's something really nice, even with my agents. They, in my eyes, are such successful people. And I really admire people who are happy to put someone in the limelight and push their story and not feel the need to be center stage. They're all in happy relationships. And those are the people I idolize in my life. And I think of them as strong career driven people. And it's never crossed my mind that they need to do that alone. So I just don't hero, you know, career being over anything. I, yeah, if I lose followers because they want to see me as this single gal then they're not the right people to follow me i guess that's not yeah. really no, that's what very, very fair to say that's yeah. very fair to say and what about the validation as a model you know the pressures you're put under for the way your body looks the pressures mm. of getting those jobs you know you go for castings and mm. you've got 10 other people who are all different shapes and sizes next to you that you're comparing yourself to how mentally does that affect you do you know what? When I got ill, I, was, I think it was also, even if I hadn't have had bipolar, I would have had burnout at that time. It was really difficult. And I think in the moment, I was denying to myself how much I was affected by it. But I was very underweight and anxious. And I was working so much. I was making so much. And so I had that pressure on myself of, you've got to sustain this. Whereas when you go 
on antipsychotics, you put on weight. And I came out of hospital three stone heavier. And luckily I was high when I came out. So I thought it was really funny to see like a three stone heavier version of myself. There's no mirrors in hospital. But I think I'm proving to myself and I think in my own life, getting into exercise and finding ways where I feel good about how I feel. It's been difficult and being on medication, which makes you so hungry, I just had to surrender to the weight gain. But actually, after this documentary was filmed, I moved modelling agents to prove to myself that I want to start like this. This is who I am now. If you get me jobs looking like this, I'll feel comfortable knowing that in my own life I'm treating myself well. Whereas before I took time off work when I was ill, I was trying to fit the stereotype. And yeah, I'm getting better about speaking about that. And modelling is just, you hope the industry's changed. But if I'm honest, I don't think it has yet. And when I was meeting new modelling agents this year, I still have my pictures and my measurements taken. The only agency who didn't do that is the one I'm now with. And why do they not do that? I think they started two years ago. They're called Chapter. And they right now feel the industry needs to change. And I met a load who said, we feel the industry needs to change. Oh, when did you set up? Nine years ago. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so you're still feeling passionate about that. Okay, <laughs> let's see. Whereas even looking on the agency I'm with right now's website, they hear a lot of talent and older girls. I can't see any 15-year-old new faces who they're pushing for Vogue. And that was where I knew in that environment, I felt really comfortable. They didn't take any pictures on the day. They just wanted to hear about the documentary and the type of brands I'd want to work with. So I kind of switched this year to putting things on my terms. I'd rather earn less, but genuinely enjoy my job and work for brands where I turn up feeling confident. And also that confidence goes through your own platform, Viva Fever, yeah. where you get to spread awareness of mental health, but also have other people come to mm. you. What have you learned about yourself and also about society since having the platform? I think I think people are craving a community. It's really nice because Viva Fever started as a walking club. I was like, I just love walking and I want to do this and I want friends to come. And it yeah, it just progressed into now being a non-profit where we do event production. But we have the same faces coming to our events and I've become friends with them. And I think I'm quite, I lost a lot of friends in this process and I just really like, I like meeting people who I just connect with on our interests and being their friend. I don't care if that looks weird. I've met a lot of friends through Instagram and I've met a lot of friends through Viva Fever. And yet if we do a supper club and these people come once every two months and we see the same faces, everyone's so busy now that I'd still call that a friend. I don't need to see someone every week. So it's nice to have that kind of distance. And when I was first diagnosed, I signed up to be a nurse and I knew that I needed to help, but I came to quickly realize that being a nurse would mean long shifts where I can't have regular sleep. So I can't really do that as someone where sleep is my main security. So yeah, it's changed my understanding. And I think it's just, even if you help three people, that's better than feeling overwhelmed and feeling like you can't help anyone. So it's kind of, I try and work on a small scale and actually at least every day you're doing something rather than being like, God, how do I help? There's hundreds of thousands of people who are homeless because of their illness. I felt really hopeless for a long time and unsure how to navigate helping anyone. If you're affected by anything you've heard, bipolar.org is where you can get more information about 
bipolar. Viva Fever is an amazing community where you can talk about your mental health. And Modeling Mania and Me is available on Channel 4 to watch Rosie's journey. My thanks to Rosie for that educating episode. Absolutely loved speaking to her. You've been listening to Zakidin's Care with me, Johnny Seaford. If you like what you heard, please give a five-star rating and a review on Spotify and iTunes. We need to keep spreading the word. It's okay to not be okay. On social media, at Zakidin's Care Podcast, at Johnny Seaford is where you can find me. Rosie, where are you? Where am I? Yeah, well, not right now. I can see you. <laughs> where are you on social media? Rosie Viva. V-I-V-A. It's... um. I mean, you didn't ask me to explain it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Keep going. I'm Dutch and my surname is really long and I haven't been able to pronounce it properly myself until very recently. Viva's my middle name and my dad's initials. So I use that and it's just so much easier. I want to know what your Dutch name is now. Van, I can't, oh my God, I can't even say it. Van Amongen. When you... I was growing up, it was Van Am I Wrong Again. And my cousins <laughs> are like, you can't say it right. I was like, I'm trying. I just don't have a Dutch accent. So Viva is very much stuck with me as something useful. Um, oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you for listening to Zucchini's Give Me, Johnny Zifa. I'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye for now.